Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance's Trump investigation seems to be heating up. Last week, Vance reportedly convened a special grand jury that will consider evidence of potential wrongdoing by Trump and his associates. Meanwhile, Trump is defending himself in a lawsuit brought by Representative Eric Swalwell, which accuses Trump and others of inciting the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. In other news, the Department of Justice is trying to keep secret a 2019 memo that former Attorney General Bill Barr used to justify his decision to absolve Trump of obstruction of justice. Preet Bharara and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. And for a limited time, use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. How are you, Joyce? I'm good. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about history these days. There is. And a lot of remembrance of the Tulsa massacre. And perhaps apropos of the new emphasis on history and remembering our history, the good and the bad and the ugly, I guess. Cafe and the Vox Media Podcast Network, as I've mentioned before, has a new podcast, a history podcast called Now and Then. The first episode has come out already, so it's available wherever you listen to your podcast. Search on Now and Then, use the ampersand, and it stars two brilliant historians, Heather Cox Richardson and Joanne Freeman, and you can listen to it now. It's pretty exciting. It's a great podcast. So... Here we are, several months into the Biden administration, and we're still talking about the former guy. Donald you know, Trump. I really hoped he would just go away, but obviously that was naive. Well, his misdeeds precede him, and so they have to be dealt with. So we should maybe talk for a second about what the potential charges are, although we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, what potential charges there are against Trump, Weisselberg, the organization itself. We've talked about the potential for tax charges. We've talked about the potential for bank fraud, maybe insurance fraud, you know, it's hard to know. But there has been some chatter about a statute that some people find sexy and powerful and, you know, other people who have more experience with it sometimes find it cumbersome and complicated, and that's RICO. So there's the federal RICO statute with which you and I have a lot of familiarity, which is a, an acronym for the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, which was passed about 50 years ago and its original intent was to be used to combat uh, La Cosa Nostra, or organized crime, the traditional Italian mafia. Its use has been expanded to other things. But obviously, Cy Vance and his office can't use that. There's a statute in the state of New York, New York Penal Law 460.20, which gets at enterprise corruption. And RICO is about an enterprise, a corrupt enterprise. Some people call the statute Little RICO. I always think of it as being more Rico-ish, right? I mean, it's not exactly Rico, but it's close. Rico Suave. Yeah, exactly. I had to make that. I had to make that. I had to do that. I had to. I apologize to everyone. Um, as well, you should. <laughs> for now, for now, there's Rico, and then there's Rico Suave in the state. I don't know if you can ask this question, but I've over the years been asked a lot, and I see people speculate on social media like, "What about Rico? What about Rico?" Because it's something about Rico, and I don't know if it's because of the movies or because racketeering sounds like a big deal, there is this attraction to Rico 
without a full understanding that it's it's very complicated. Yeah, it brings substantial penalties, but so do some of the predicate acts or predicate crimes that would go into a RICO charge anyway. I mean, in New York, the law here with which I'm not, or about which I'm not expert, you know, for the purpose of this section, a person participates in a pattern of criminal activity when with intent to participate in or advance the affairs of the criminal enterprise, you have to figure out what a criminal enterprise is, and that can be complicated. He engages in conduct constituting or is criminally liable for at least three of the criminal acts included in the pattern. Two of his acts have to be felonies other than conspiracy. Two of his acts, one of which is a felony, occurred within five years of the commencement of the criminal action. Each of his acts occurred within three years of a prior act. So there's a number of acts you got to bring to bear. You have to prove that there was an enterprise. You have to prove who was a member of the enterprise. Then you have to prove the predicate crimes as well. Does it make sense to lunge for the RICO or to just charge the basic tax fraud, bank fraud, insurance fraud, et cetera? So I am a fan of RICO in the right case. I suspect that this is not the right case. Prosecutors should certainly consider the RICO statute and see if it gives them something that they don't have otherwise. I think this is why, you know, people who who maybe have never indicted cases like the RICO statute, it's because it's emotionally satisfying. The notion that you can plant the label criminal enterprise on the Trump family would be satisfactory to many people who've watched his conduct over, you know, not just as president, but his business conduct and, and would like to see that happen emotionally. But as a prosecutor, I think it exposes you to some risk. As you say, you've got to decide what the criminal enterprise is. There are some timing issues. One reason to use the RICO statute is because it lets you present evidence to the jury that might not otherwise be admissible. You can go through a long, tangled history of conduct, some of it well out of the statute of limitation, and let the jury hear all of it. But frankly, in this situation, and especially given the available sentences, I think prosecutors do just as well by bringing fraud charges if the evidence points to them. And I'm a huge fan when I indict a case, and certainly when I'm trying a case to a jury, of the KISS rule. Keep it simple, stupid. That way you don't run the risk of confusing the jury or creating issues on appeal, and you get a cleaner conviction. Yeah, I agree with all that. I don't think... In a case like this, you're going to see it. You may. You may. And we don't know what kinds of evidence that office may want to put before a potential jury that would otherwise be precluded. That's part of the analysis to see what story you can tell. And often you can't tell the full story if you just bring the substantive charges. But, you know, I think in a case like this, if they're ever going to charge Weisselberg, and certainly if they're ever going to charge the former president, the application of the KISS rule, as you stated, I've never heard it put that way, I don't think. But I like it. It's essential to be as clear and crisp as possible. The big turning point here, you know, in all white collar cases, right? You got to be able to prove intent. It's not that this happened accidentally or that people were unknowing they intended to defraud whoever the victim is. You can't indict this case if the evidence isn't clear. You don't just throw the spaghetti on the wall as we've said in the past and hope that the jury will think it's sticking. So to have evidence with that necessary level of precision means that you want the focus there on those facts and anything that you do that muddies your case up just opens up all sort of jury risk. So let's talk about the next case on the docket for today. California Congressman Eric Swalwell filed a civil case, not a criminal case, 
naming Trump and uh, others, Donald Trump Jr., Rudy Giuliani, Alabama Congressman Mo Brooks, as defendants, arguing that what he characterizes as the incitement to insurrect on January 6th violates certain of his rights and that he's entitled to civil recompense. It's not a criminal case. No one's going to jail at the end of it. But the Trump organization and and actually Trump and Donald Trump Jr. have now filed a motion to dismiss Swalwell's case. Who do you think is right, Swalwell or the Trumps? So that's a good question. Um, I'd like to see the Swalwell responsive brief when that's filed, see what arguments they make. You know, my, my view of the motion to dismiss by Trump and his lawyers is that it's a lot of it is vintage Trump. There's a lot of whataboutism, which you don't tend to see in briefs. There's attacks on his political adversaries and, you know, comparing what he did to what they did, saying that they had all sorts of uh, involvement and incitement on other occasions. They attacked Maxine Waters, among other people, and that's nonsense. And you can strip that away. But look, the the Trump folks, and I'm, I'm very curious to know what, I've been waiting all week to hear what you have to say about this. They make two basic claims in their defense. One is the president has a First Amendment protected right to speech, and in particular, among the most protected forms of speech is political speech. And they claim that's what he was doing, talking about election, talking about his own candidacy, talking about the certification of votes. That's political speech. And they say that's protected by the First Amendment. And they cite to a case we mentioned here before, Brandenburg. And they make a second argument. They always make their arguments. They make them a little bit more extreme than they need to be. But that the president of the United States was acting in his official capacity, within his duties as president, talking about these things. And so actions that you undertake in the performance of your presidential duties or any other federal official's duties are immune from suit. And you can't be punished for things that you do that are within the scope of your responsibilities. My reaction to both of those is different from what it often is, because I think they're often making preposterous and stupid, silly arguments, most notably Sidney Powell and her Kraken. (laughs) These are not unreasonable defenses. And I think that Eric Swalwell's lawsuit, uh, you know, is interesting, but no slam dunk at all. I don't think people have thought it's a slam dunk. It's a creative application of, of what he understands the law to be. I think there's a an interesting question about whether or not this was speech. I mean, the, the whole case, really the ultimate question is, was it political speech or was it incitement? And that's sort of the issue to be decided. I think it may be hard to get all of this dismissed at this stage, because as, as people may understand, to succeed in the motion to dismiss, you have to take all the allegations in the complaint, in the lawsuit, you have to take them to be true. The judge has to assume them to be true. And even if you assume all the allegations to be true, is there still a, a cause of action stated? Uh, and, and it may be that some of these things are, are questions of fact. What is it that the president said? Um, what was his intent when he said them? What was happening behind the scenes? And it, and it may be that a judge decides, well, we need to take a little bit of discovery before I can decide as a matter of law, was this something that can be punished or not even civilly? Am I totally off base? So it's really interesting. You know, I think that Trump's defense is a really great defense if you believe that violently overturning an election is part of a president's core duties while he's in office. I have a very different reaction to this sort of immunity claim that he makes. I know other people think that it it may be difficult 
But in my view, this is such a singular type of activity. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. And for a limited time, use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.